Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Playbook. This is episode number 70, and this week's guest is none other than Jordan Praise. Jordan, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Joe. <laughs> I appreciate the applause. Yeah, we brought quite the audience in for you this week. <laughs> there you go. You shouldn't have shown me those. <laughs> Just don't hit that one. That's the one that goes on forever, the top left. But, um, you know, to kind of jump right in, Jordan, what are the... You know, when you're kind of going in school, kind of coming out, uh, you know, thinking about what your career path was going to be, what made you choose real estate? So I never had plans of being a realtor. What my plan was, was to just be a basketball player, right? So I went to college and I didn't know about playing basketball overseas yet. So I thought it was NBA or bus. I found out about that and I was like, oh, let me try to do that. Let me try to take, pursue that path. And it worked out. So I, after I finished playing, I didn't really have any plans for anything uh, as far as career-wise. So when I came back, there was a – so when you play overseas, you play for nine months. And then you're off for about three. You're just hanging out at home. So during that time, I was training at like five in the morning to um, get ready for the next season. But when you're 23, 24, all your friends are have jobs, right? So I will train at 5 a.m. with a buddy. Everybody go to work. And then I would sit at home and I started watching real estate shows. You know, million dollar listing, lover list, all those shows. Property Brothers was a good one, um, and I was like, you know, that's kind of a cool job. It's like it's like sports. You eat what you kill. You don't have a boss. At that point in my life, I had like twenty three jobs from sixteen to twenty three. I I probably had a problem with authority, so I thought every boss I had was like an idiot. Um, so I was like, I don't really like the whole boss strategy um, to that point in my life. So I was like, well, this real estate thing seems pretty cool. I think I'm going to do that, right? And then I get a call and from my agent, he says, hey, I got the same deal from you in France, uh, 3000 bucks a month, give you an apartment, pay for your lunch, give you a car, whatever. You pay for everything but gas and groceries, right? Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I go, nah, man, I'm going to pass. And he goes, really? See, so, yeah, I'm going to be a realtor. Mm. That's what I'm going to do. And he's like, all right, great. And I never heard from him again. <laughs> that was the end of my career. And after that, I went and got into real estate school and... Um, I did a year of teaching just because I was like, I probably need some ancillary income to get this started. And I met, thought teaching was a good situation because you get two months of checks over summer. So I I started teaching for that year. I told the principal I'll be here for one year and I'm gone. And then uh, during that school year, I got my license. So that's how I stumbled into real estate. Um, I had never been to an open house, never talked to a lender, never you know looked at a home, nothing like that. So I'd never really considered real estate until I watched a bunch of television. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the TV show is going to give you an insight on what it could be like and the opportunity. And then obviously you having the mindset of, hey, I kind of want to do my own thing, work for myself and not really have kind of a boss or somebody to report to. Stay competitive. You know, eat what you kill like sports. You work hard, you play. You don't work hard, you sit. Mm -hmm. um, you earn more opportunity as time goes on. And my, my thought was pretty simple. It was like I'm making three grand a month playing basketball. So my goal, my grand ambition at 24 years old was, all right, first year, I sell one 100,000 house, 100, one $100,000 house a month. I make three grand for that check and I'll make the same I make for playing overseas. Hmm. That was like the idea. Then obviously like that year I sold 60 houses. So um, I was a little, uh, I underestimated my sales ability because I'd never sold anything. But um, yeah, it was, it was just kind of like you earn what you get. And if, if I absolutely am terrible at this, there will always be a nine to five job. Mm -hmm. There will always be a teaching opportunity. There will always be one of those situations open. 
Because at this point now, I'd have a college education. I'd have played basketball overseas, which I don't know if people really cared about, but it's kind of a cool story, I guess. And I have a touch of sales experience, right? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like my idea is like, if I'm terrible, I can always go get a job. Yeah. Yeah, no. And and honestly, the, you know, kind of the ideas you brought up, eat what you kill and, you know, trying being an entrepreneur and doing everything on your own, the market would kind of dictate if you're going to be successful or not by obviously being able to close transactions and close homes. And, And that's a lucky portion of my career is I got in before real estate was back, right? Mm-hmm. So when I came in, you could sell, you'd walk in a neighborhood, there's 15 houses on the market, a nice neighborhood, 15 houses on the market, all sub 200,000. Um, 12 of them were REOs or short sales. Um, and the buyer, I don't care which one I get, whoever gives me the best deal. So every offer you make is in the buyer's favor. So you're not disappointing your, your person you're working for because they're like, hey, it's 200 grand. What do you think I should offer? I'm like, 175 brand new roof full closing and they're like you that aggressive i'm like who cares we got we got 12 more we can pick from yeah so like it was it was a nice entry and then obviously i got a chance to ride the wave of real estate coming back up um and learn the ropes and then less competitive time i think the last couple years there have been so many agents in the market that it's, it's more competitive for each deal you get especially for a young agent maybe not for an established agent who's getting a lot of referrals but like if you're a young agent you let that person walk out the door and they call someone else, they may yeah. never come back. Absolutely. Whereas they walked out the door on me, there was no one else to call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it made, made it nice and easy. Yeah, back then it's kind of like getting those calls of, we're so happy you picked up the phone type of thing. You oh. Because they'd call three or four people and nobody would answer or return the calls. Yeah, because it was before Zillow was a big thing. I got a lot of my business in that time off Zillow. I think I paid 200 bucks a month. Got 70 leads a month. Wow. Because I was over-delivered. There was only me and another agent in the zip code. Um, now you probably get like one lead for that price. Yeah, I don't think you can even <laughs> buy one. I don't think I don't think you can get on Zillow for that month much money. So um, I was buying these Zillow leads, and you know I'm 24, 25 at the time. So like somebody would inquire at 1 a.m. This is before the the way they have it structured now, and I would call them because I'm just hanging out, right? I'm just a, a young guy who doesn't have a bedtime yet. I'll call him at one in the morning. My lender was the same age as me. I'll call him. We'll get somebody qualified at one in the morning. I'll be wow. showing them houses at eight in the morning when they're off work. Mm-hmm. So it was like the hustle of that too was was good, but um, yeah, it was just it was one of those things where you know, hey man, I've clicked on twelve houses today, and no one's called me, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'll you know, I'm your guy, yeah, I'm here you see for the you. stories all the time, yeah. So and that that helped build my database and help a lot of the clients I still work with today. I met through Zillow back in you know I've been in this my tenth year, so I met you know ten eight nine ten years ago. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. That's awesome, man. So before we kind of keep going further along real estate, I'm sure, you know, not especially the audience hasn't heard too much of people. You're the first guest, obviously, playing professional sport overseas. Why don't you just touch a little bit about all that experience? How was it like playing in France? I always sum it up with one year was enough. Right. <laughs> so I think if you if I went to a like a like London mm-hmm. where they spoke English and I could have had more of a uh, social life or if I went to Paris clo- I was in the south of France I was like in a village like Beauty and the Beast when she's walking around bonjour bonjour and we'd walk out the door the woman that lived in like the apartment below us we called her Madame Bonjour spoke no English no one really spoke English there um so it wasn't great right mm-hmm. like for me um most dudes who play over there are 5 years or less because it's just it's almost like you're kind of like in the weird prison, right? Mm-hmm. You got to have a very strong passion for the game. Mm-hmm. And by that time, I was just checking off a box of my life saying like, I was cut in ninth grade from the basketball team. I wasn't Michael Jordan cut from varsity. I was cut from the whole team, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, came back to 10th grade, made the team, got a college scholarship. And, and I was like, this way, no one can ever tell me I'm not good enough to play. Mm-hmm. I can end it on my own terms. So that was kind of the, the ambition of it. Um, as far as like the games and stuff, it was it was fun. I was like 20 and 10. Um, but it was weird when you're overseas because if you score, I remember one game I had like 25 points. No, no. The worst game was I had, I think I had 38 points. I scored over half the team's points. And the coach comes in after and goes, your points mean nothing because we lost. And the reason being is as the American, you're the highest paid person on the team. Mm-hmm. So you're judged on this insanely strict uh, like grade that's like impossible to, to keep up with. But it didn't really matter because as long as you're getting your stats, you'll get another contract. right? Mm-hmm. Your team could be awful. If you make it through the season and have good numbers, good tape, like you'll get another contract. So kind of like a mercenary. right? Was it annual contracts? Yeah, so well, you can sign multi years, um, but not when you're in that point of your career, right? Mm. So if you're a bigger um, in one of the bigger leagues, China, um, Israel, um, Turkey, they have really big leagues where guys are, are making a million bucks a year. Um, they'll sign for two or three years, but usually even at that level, they're still signed for nine months. So I was signed for nine months. I got paid for ten, so mm. I got a little kicker um, on top of there, but. Yeah, it's, it's a different experience. Um, I think it's different for everybody who does it. Like, if you ask 10 people who played overseas, they'd have a different answer. But for me, it was really just checking off a box. Um, I got to see the world on somebody else's dime, which meant nothing to me because I hate, I literally hate traveling. But I have seen a lot. I've been to the Dominican Republic. I've been to Spain. I've been to France. Obviously, I've been to Alaska all through playing basketball. So That's awesome. I just hate traveling. So, like, mm-hmm. I've never enjoyed any, like it was never a goal of mine. It still isn't a goal of mine to see the world. Right. So like it, it's this weird thing. I got to do it. Check the box off, and I probably have the least amount of appreciation for that. And I know a guy who played overseas for I think eight years, just because he loved the worldly experience. Right. He loved going to different places, seeing different things, visiting things. It's the culture of all the countries mm-hmm. and cities. Yeah, and immersion therapy, learning different languages, all that stuff. So he played for a long time, probably not making much money, just for the culture. The uh, yeah, the the growth of, a, I guess, a full-rounded human being. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, you know, different strokes for different folks. But it, it is, if you have the ability to, to finish your career on anything, I think on your own terms, it's the best way to do it. So you leave no – I like my son's starting to play basketball, right? Mm-hmm. This is the second season of basketball. First season was more of like a practice league. This is like up and down. I have no ambition. I don't have to live through him. Um, I don't have any ambition to like see him do something because I did what I wanted to do. Right. So like, I, as long as he's having fun, he's enjoying it. Obviously, he's enormous. He's, he's as big as like an eight, nine year old. He's six. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that that part's cool to see him do it. But I don't. He could walk in tomorrow and say I quit, and I, yeah, I bet you're gonna finish the season. But I don't. I don't care. Yeah. So that that part's been cool too is to see, to see him take to something I liked. But That's it's awesome. also nice not being the dad who's like living through the sun. Yeah, well, making your kid like work out at five years old, and you hear the stories. Or you, you know, you're talking to a buddy, and he's telling you how he's training his kid, and it's like, I'm not gonna lie to you, man. There's some kid right now, you named Giannis Antetokounmpo over in Greece, who's gonna be six eleven. I'm looking at you. You're five eight. The NBA thing's probably not gonna work out for your kid because there's some kid who's working harder just because he has nothing else to do. Than your kid with all the trainers you want to hire yeah. and who's genetically superior, right? Yeah. The one of the big reasons I played college ball and big reasons I played overseas ball is I'm six seven. Mm-hmm. Like that's a big reason. One of the big reasons uh, Kobe Bryant was Kobe Bryant is he's six seven and he could jump fifty inches off the ground. Like, yeah. there's a genetic code to this stuff that if you look at it, it it's pretty prevalent. Like most quarterbacks are 
six three, six four and up. Mm-hmm. It's like that's not by mistake. It's because yeah. they got to be able to see over the monsters in front of them. Yeah, right? it's rare you have like a John Stockton or Drew Brees out there. And like when you look at the the, in the NBA perspective, John Stockton was more common in the nineties and the eighties because it wasn't global. Mm-hmm. We weren't pulling Luka Doncic six eight point guard. We weren't pulling Giannis Santacupo six eleven Greek freak. We weren't pulling Yol Embiid seven two African. Like mm-hmm. these guys weren't available, right? They were in the world. They didn't play basketball. So like that whole thing um, of those guys, I'm not saying like John Stockton couldn't play now, but that that talent pool is growing out. So it's, there's less Americans who are going to be able to play in the league. Yeah, it's just how it works. So if you're five six and your wife's five four, you got grand ambitions of the NBA. I mean, you you got you got to be pretty <laughs> good to have a five five kid making the NBA. That's why we know. That, Earl Boykins and Nate Robinson and Muggsy Bugs. That's why you know them by names because they're they're anomalies. Right. And I don't know the anomalies are going to happen anymore because sure. people are growing. I mean, the great game is growing throughout the, the world. Yeah, and the ball handling, right? You're having these bigger guys where they handle oh, yeah. it well, up and down the court. Positionless basketball. There's no one playing. Um, no one is playing basketball or learning basketball the way Shaq did. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody's learning to shoot from at least 15 feet and further out. Everybody's learning how to dribble the ball handle the ball, make passes and things of that nature. So, like, you look at Nikola Jokic, I mean, that guy passes as good as any guard in the league, and he's a center. Mm-hmm. He's very rarely going back to the basket, banging on the low post with a drop set. So, the skill set changes. I tell everybody, if you want your kid to be good at basketball, when they're young, just give them, tell them to dribble. Mm-hmm. If you can dribble the ball, you can pass the ball, you'll probably be able to play at some, whether high school, college, wherever kind of the where your talent might max out at. But if you can't dribble now, I mean, it's there's no two dribbles, drop step, lay, and that, that's, that game's dead for the They're most down. part. I mean, look at Joel Embiid shoots threes all games. The guy's a monster. He could easily be Shaq. Yeah. Right? I don't know if anyone could easily be Shaq, but he's got the physical attributes for it. Right. And he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting growth. Well, true. Very true. So, like, a lot of times it sounded like you took a bunch of jobs, odds and ends before, you know, teaching, you kind of – Went into that with the mindset of, hey, a one and done, I'm going to give it a year, you know, get this real estate thing going, get my license, start to get some transactions under my belt, and then do it full time. But obviously, you're working other jobs. And we always like to say, see, you know, what makes a great agent? What are some of the skill sets or attributes they had from their previous employment that they were able to carry over into the real estate profession to have them achieve a high level of success? With you, I think it'd be more because you were doing basketball at such a high level probably learning more about life and building your character belief system through basketball than possibly the other jobs that you probably had job dissatisfaction working just to kind of make odds odds and ends meet kind of during that time. What are some of the the skills or some of the core values you learned from playing ball that kind of help ground yourself into who you are and help you have success in real estate because you're already grounded with a set of principles? So I think the one like anyone would think off top is like your work ethic. You don't get better at basketball at practice. Practice is for the team. You got to get better on your own time, right? Which is the further you go in the game, the more you learn. Um, Because when you hit the professional level there, you go home for summer, you're home for summer. No one's, Mm -hmm. there's no training program. No one's telling you what to eat. Um, So like the work ethic, obviously you learn through like, okay, this is going to, conditioning is going to be very hard, but I'm going to get through it because I got to get to the season, right? So, like, just the work ethic of showing up every day, doing your best to get a little bit better, and then finding time, working on your own time, even when it's inconvenient, um, that that translates over largely. The next thing is, like, time management. 
So when you get to college, um, you got 15 hours of classes a week, right? And then you got 20 hours of basketball. So you got 35 hours a week that are earmarked before you do anything. So when you're when I was a freshman, they give me this thing like, okay, these are your blocks, which I didn't know at the time it was time blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, from eight to third and ten, you're in class. Then from ten to eleven, you're at weights, and you got class, class, grab lunch, practice, study hall, and they're like blocking out your entire day. And like in those times, like you're trying to just get through each day. And as a freshman, you feel like you're never stopping. It feels like it's always going. And I think when you first start real estate, you feel like um, there's always something happening. I remember my first day, I felt like there was a million moving pieces. I didn't know where they're coming from, but they all like were converging here, but I didn't know how to control anything. Right. And that's how you feel as a freshman in college. Like you feel like you're, you're never stopping. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you're senior, you're so used to it that you can manage, you're actually managing your time. Your time's not managing you, right? You're managing your schedule. You know what you need to do. You know, like where, okay, I can, instead of having lunch here, rush, I can move it here and you can do different things and manipulate the schedule to be better for you. And as you go in your real estate career, you learn like these activities, if I, if I prioritize them, I can actually make uh, more money, have a better business and things like that. So like the time management is what I learned a lot from college, worth ethic through the whole thing. And then like obviously playing professional ball is like you, there, there's no one who's going to force you to work. So you got to show up and work. And I think that's a tough thing for real realtors a lot of times is, um, if you've come from a corporate environment where you showed up at nine, you went home at five, you were paid on Thursdays. Um, and now you have no structure and no one to tell you what to do. You can either thrive off it or you can abuse it. Mm-hmm. And when you abuse it, uh, you, the, the realistic possibility of making $0 becomes a reality. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you utilize it and maximize it, then you can, the, there's uh, unlimited potential. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, some things you kind of touched on to sum it up that I heard. One, I'll tell a lot of people, find comfort in the chaos, right? And I think there's so many things going on. And a lot of people, when they get placed in chaotic situations, they get overwhelmed very easily. But you find that once you understand that all these variables will be a constant and you've done it for so long, you realize it's not that chaotic, right? It's just a part of the business for you. It was part of the basketball, going to college, and then, you know, correlated and to create a real estate career, it's just kind of figuring out your own system for it because there's so many moving components. But the three main attributes I heard from you was discipline, obviously, making sure you did what you're set out to do, schedule, time block, and then work ethic, which you know I think are three attributes for pretty much any career, but I think three that a lot of agents lack. Yeah, I think it's a human thing, right? It's not specific to real estate. Mm-hmm. People like to say they're working hard. We just talked about this. People like to say they're working hard by doing busy work. Mm-hmm. Um, Getting ready to get ready. Yeah. Punching the clock isn't working hard. Working hard is like poignant, uh, purposeful work, right, mm-hmm. on, on a goal. So, like, when I look at my goals, you know, you set them up for a year, but then I got to break them down into, you know, quarters, bi-monthly, months, months weeks, days, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And if I can win every single day, I'll win the week. If mm-hmm. I win each week. I win the month and if I win each month, I'll win the year. So like, I think you have to have like um, a laser focus on what you want to do and who you want to be in life and in real estate. Like if you want to be a top producing agent, you have to then mimic top producing agents. A Facebook post um, and a new headshot, you might get 700 likes. Ain't going to get you no business. And if it does get you business, that can be sustainable. And I think too, it's not only, 
winning the week, right? Because obviously it's more sustainable. You win the week, you don't get off track. But it's also if you lose the week, then it's quicker for you to make an adjustment or pivot a move rather than losing the year. Yes. Because you weren't tracking those losses. It's kind of like a... You know, the old dieting thing, just because you have a bad meal, don't make it a bad day. Just because you have a bad day, don't make it a bad week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a bad week in real estate or, you know, you take some time off to recharge yourself, don't take your one week vacation and make it a one month vacation, mm-hmm. right? Don't take your one week of, I knew I should have made these calls and I didn't until like I haven't made a call in a month, mm-hmm. right? right? If you stay on focus with your goals, you're less likely to let a little blip become like your norm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you see this too, but uh, you know, when I was back when I was on production and top producing agents around the brokers here, two of their best months are typically November to December. Cause for whatever reason, over half the agents for some reason can't find time to work from Halloween to New Year's. And they take a lot of time off just because of all those different holidays. But yeah, I mean, people, they want to reward themselves for working hard over summer, right? Yeah. It's like the majority of people move over summer. You're not special. Mm-hmm. You didn't work hard. It's just that's how the calendar sets up. That's the data. So then they have the most money they're going to have all year. And they're like, well, I don't really need to work anymore. I don't have to work. I'm I'm awesome. I'm killing it. And they fail to realize that January, February are always going to be your slowest months. Mm-hmm. So now you've taken a great summer, turning into a weak fall, and it's going to be an abysmal winter, mm-hmm. right? And now next, now here we repeat the cycle. Now we're in the spring I got to get it together. I get some money. I got to pay my bills. And then, oh, I'm God's gift. It's summer. And let's do it again. Right. So I think I think it's it, it's predictable mm-hmm. almost. Right. So the people Absolutely. who keep working I, the last two years, my biggest months have been November each year. Like Mine were, When I was in production on a high level, all five years for my wife, December was one of the top two. Yeah. I mean, I always have a really strong March, April. I think just because like you pay that tax bill and you get kind of angry and you like, I better get to work. Mm-hmm. And I always have a, a good, cause I, I, I always tell my wife, like I'm the, I'm soft in January. Cause mm-hmm. in, in December you're, you're kind of like, there's not that much to do. You're kind of closing deals. You're fielding calls. Hey, we're going to get to this next year type thing. And you, you get soft on like how many appointments and how many conversations you're having. And then by like summer, you're like bulletproof again. So mm-hmm. I just follow that bulletproof through the, uh, into the fall and then I go on my honeymoon or anniversary and then it's kind of Christmas and then I get soft again. Right. Mm-hmm. So like right now I'm like toughening up again. Um, I've had a l- less of a transition this year. I feel like I've done better than I have in the other nine years, but it, it, comparatively, I feel like I'm, I'm still soft compared to where I was three months ago. Just as far as like if you're a mid season grind, mm-hmm. right. Like I'm playoff ready. Like I'm, I'm in like week three. Yeah, it might still, I might still tweak my knee. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm to get conditioned. You hit summer, you know, you're playoff ready, and then I try to just follow that through to the end of the year. And in December, you're just, you're going to be slow. Mm-hmm. Once the Christmas, people are blowing their down payment on the Christmas gifts. Once the trees come up, they don't want anybody in their house. It's, it's hard to have a great January. Mm-hmm. Now you can have a Jan, you, you shouldn't have a zero January. You should still be able to pay your bills. That's my goal every January. Just pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Let's just get through January. Let's get to February. We'll start making some money. Right. January, you pay your bills. You call it a good month and move on. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great tip. And, you know, not dipping in the reserves, just making sure they get everything kind of paid because December is usually like pending month, yeah, you, which I can see for January. It's just, it's just how it works. Right? You're not, you, could you, I did nine deals. I, think, I don't know if it was last January or the January before. That was the only time I, I got five this year. I, I'll, I'll close five deals this month, right? And it's fine. Like I'm paying my bills. Mm-hmm. But I, if you look at me over a year for two years, I close about eight to nine deals every single month. So mm-hmm. I'm light. Right. And it annoys me. That's why by March I have a good March. So I'm annoyed 
about to stroke a big check to the IRS. Um, I'm just mildly annoyed. I'm annoyed that instead of having 90 deals, people, how many deals are you close here? 90? I'm like four. Like it's depressing. Yeah. You always wonder, is, is it over? Yeah. Cause I have flash in the pan, a nine year flash in the pan where I closed all these deals. Now I'll never sell another yeah. house. All that stuff goes in, into it. Absolutely. So, you know, you were talking a little bit about kind of getting into real estate and I want, I want to talk, I would say something about your mindset, right? Your goal was to, to get in. If I could do 12 deals a year, one a month, I'm kind of making what, what I was playing ball in France. So, you know, one thing that you didn't expect, obviously, I think was possibly selling yourself short on how good at real estate you could have been. What was another big aha or takeaway that you didn't expect when jumping into real estate? Um, I didn't have any expectations, right? Like I just watched a television show. I thought it looked cool. And I just thought if I sold one house a month, I could make what I make as a teacher or a professional basketball player overseas. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing I was surprised by is how much I enjoyed like the grind of it. Like I, I still genuinely enjoy the sale, right? I still genuinely enjoy, hey, you're under contract. Hey, we got the deal together. Hey, you know, whatever, whatever outcome we were seeking, we, uh, we achieved, which is why I still do it. Like I still don't see myself coming out of production for a long time. Um, <clears throat> I didn't think I'd enjoy putting deals together that much. Um, I didn't, I had no frame of reference though to think I would or wouldn't, but yeah, I, I still enjoy calling my buyer and saying, Hey, they took your offer. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I still enjoy telling my seller like, Hey, we, you know, that inspection, how they asked for a laundry list. We're only doing this. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we, we won. Right. And it's not winning or losing because ultimate goal is to help someone achieve what they want, but it, it feels like a win to them. Right. Because mm-hmm. they saved money or they got the home to grow the roots or whatever. And that once that goes away, I'll probably look at doing, I'll probably be in real estate, but I'll probably look to be more like you outside production, managing a team. I, I hate management. Mm-hmm. I don't see myself ever. I'm a sales guy. Like yeah. I can call myself a realtor. I'm a sales guy. You could, I'll, I'll sell, I'll sell car seats if you like. I don't care. I'll sell <laughs> anything. Right. I just enjoy selling stuff. So um, I, I don't think I can ever do management. I, and I don't think this will ever get old. I think after 10 years, if it's not, if it's not old yet, yeah. I'm not going to probably wake up in year 11, but you know what I don't want to do? I don't yeah. want to put that deal together. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you still, sounds like you still have passion for the process. Oh, I love it. It's, yeah. it's the only reason I do it. Right. That, well then, you know, I make good money. But like, <laughs> um, no, I have a passion for the process. I have a passion for the business. I, you know, I, the other day there was a post on Facebook and a, a photographer asked for luxury agents and, you know, People hop on and, oh, I'm a luxury agent. I passed this class. Oh, I'm a luxury agent because I sold this one house. A true luxury agent works a certain price point. They turn down stuff outside of that price point. They built their career. They built the relationships to get there, right? Mm-hmm. So I wrote on the post, do you want real luxury agents or do you just want people who say they're luxury agents? Because if you want real luxury agents, here are four names of people who are real luxury agents. Mm-hmm. And people were like, man, like, how, how could you do that? Like, you know. I said, I didn't put myself on the list. I didn't say I was a luxury agent. I'm working to become one. Like I sold 12, I believe, luxury homes last year. But I don't believe I'm a luxury agent because I I sell a lot of other stuff too. Um, I was like, I respect those people who built that business, Mm -hmm. right? And I find it to be, um, I I, I think it's disrespectful of people who just have a license or pass the, I don't know what that luxury class is. Um, and they, they say, I'm a luxury agent now. And they mm-hmm. go around saying, because you're disrespecting the people who put that work in to get to that level, mm-hmm. right? So I take the business very serious. I take the, I have a passion for like the people who work in this as a full-time way of feeding their families. Like I, I take it all very personal. I'm like, I'm like Michael Jordan. 
watching the iPad, like, and I took that personal, yeah. right? <laughs> so, like, but that's how I see. Like, I, I and I still really enjoy learning. I still enjoy connecting with other high level agents, seeing what they do, what works, what doesn't work, and stuff like that. So, you know, that that's kind of what what keeps me going. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, if that passion's still there, like you said, after nine years, you know, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. No, it would surprise me. So, obviously, when Difference with you, like most agents, I don't want to say small-minded, that's not the right word to use, but they're very transactional-based, looking to kind of build their sphere, build, you know, whether it's lead generation, cultivating a farm, whatever it might be. But they think of, you know, they they pay attention to the ones, I say, where they're trying to pick up one transaction from here, one transaction there, and ultimately grow that into 40, 50 year, whatever it is that their goal is. Um, With you, you are one of the few agents I've seen who kind of come at it from a macro perspective, meaning you're now cultivating business-to-business relationships. Uh, what was something that kind of, and you can talk as little or as much as you want to about that, but what was that kind of mindset shift for you where you went away from almost consumer-to-consumer to the business-to-business mentality to create that higher you know, faucet of, of leads just flowing in and opportunities rather than these constant one-offs from multiple people? I think when you do seven years of Zillow sales where everything is very transactional, just by nature, it is what it is. You're working with a lot of strangers. It burns you out. Um, I was talking to somebody who makes a lot more money than me in real estate and done it a lot longer than me and is a lot smarter than me. Obviously, I'm not very smart. I said on the last podcast I was on, I'm not super smart, but I will do what somebody smarter than me will say. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of got the place where I was like, listen, you know, I make as much as an attorney. I make as much as a doctor. I make as much as... Most professions that don't, you know, have a ball bouncing, right? And even some, you know, some of them don't make that much either. So I'm not too far away from the the low, low end of that, right? And um, I was like, if I can cultivate great relationships with small business owners that can sustain me for the next 20 years, however long I do this, that's going to be more enjoyable than meeting a brand new stranger and selling them a home. I'd rather take care of the people who... I've built a relationship with in their transaction already and then work with people who are other small businesses who can help me in my business and hopefully I can help them in their business. It has to be a two, a two way street, right? I can't just be a taker. So if I, when I would see opportunities like I, so I, I got rid of the fear by saying I am a successful businessman, right? I'm not just a successful realtor. I'm a successful businessman. Um, and so I said, if I can connect with these people and I can have a connection with them for 10, 20 years, Maybe I could have the good old boy system when I'm 45 years old, right? Maybe I could have something in my life where I have these guys or or ladies I can call on and, and have great conversations and they can help me with my problems. And then along the way, we help each other in business. So, like, that's where the mindset kind of started um, was through seven years of being so transactional and being – I mean, I was terrible, right? I, was, I didn't even go to closings. I didn't give closing gifts. Um, I gave a high-level experience, great response time. And things like that, but I in no way took care of the people I worked with. And um, I was like, I'm gonna take great care of the people who help me feed my family. And I'm gonna go find other people who feed their family like I do and see how I can help them. And then maybe they can help me with finding a deal or two a year. Right. Mm-hmm. So like that was kind of the shift. And that shift happened 2019. So it only took me seven years to figure out that would be a, a fun way to do business. And again, I would have never figured it out I'm not that smart. Somebody smarter than me said, this is something that you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And he also, he always says, he's like, people will find you very interesting. And I'm like, I don't know why he says that, but he seems to be right. People do find me interesting. I think, I don't know if it's because I'm so tall, 
or what it is, but he's like, people will like talking to you. You should just go call business owners to see if they have lunch with you and then just see how you can help them and see how they can help you. Right. And mm-hmm. if you don't like them, don't call them again. If you do like them, then you know, make a friend. Yeah. Vice versa. So that's, that's kind of where it started, but it was from just pure transactional lifestyle for so many years. Right. And then also like, you know, when you, I have kids, right? like my son's six, my daughter's five. Um, so they were like two and three. And it, it, it's hard to be a Zillow guy. Cause you're running out of the house all the time. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you'd be sitting there on the couch watching TV, watching Dexter with your wife, and you're like, hey, I got to go to Mulberry. I got to go show this house. And she's like, all right, see ya. Mm-hmm. And she didn't care. She was younger than me. She just thought that was the, the hustle. So she was like, that's cool, whatever. Like, he's feeding his family. But, like, ultimately, you know, like, this isn't – if I want to go to my son's basketball game, I can't – I'm coaching this team right now. I couldn't have coached this team six years ago because I would have had to stop everything every time for every buyer who called me who I did not know. Not people I know and people I care about and people who've cared about me and people who've fed my family. Strangers, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's like that's not sustainable. So that mm-hmm. kind of pushed me into it too. Like find higher level relationships. Hmm. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And I think some of the relationships you're able to cultivate also will hedge you from a down market. Yeah. I mean that and that's the ultimate goal is like everybody feels a down market, no matter what phase of small business you're in. It's mm-hmm. not like it's realtor exclusive, not lending exclusive. Um, if you're a title company. If you're a lawyer in your tile company, if you're in the home inspector, right, you, we're all feeling the same stuff as far as like the, the slowing of the market. So you want to be able to call people who are smart and be like, hey, or who can be like, hey, I got a deal for you or whatever. So, that you know, and that's about around the time I met you, right? Because I started, started here, what, 2020, March of 2020. So we're coming up mm-hmm. on three years. And like you helped me too with a lot of the, the mindset of like, it was, this is a pretty good idea. So like you were affirming. I'm saying it like I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is halfway smart, right? Like, I actually like this idea. Like, keep me keep me up to date and let me know I can yeah. help you. So, like, you got to have somebody in your corner who, who like, backing up your idea. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're kind of like, am I am I insane? Yeah. Maybe I am insane, but we'll find out, right? <laughs> so, no, it, it was it was good. The timing of meeting you for that that growth was, was instrumental, too, because I don't think I would have um, – I wouldn't have had a sounding board. Right. Because we, we would talk, just like we've done on this podcast, we talk a lot about sports, but we would talk about the intricacies of these programs and different things like, have you thought about this? You've played devil advocate sometimes, mm-hmm. things of that nature. So that was always helpful early on in this transition. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a run. It's been a good three-year run. Well, and the, it's been the same, I think, for us, too. Like you say, a relationship that works both ways where it's winning for both parties because some of those ideas we've taken, we've implemented every year that you've had success with and kind of had that, that beta run to cultivate those relationships to see what was working was not. And when you rolled it out to us, we already got the modified blueprint. Yeah. You're kind of putting the blueprint together. I think I did it the hardest way possible. <laughs> you typically seem to do a lot of things that way. Yeah. Well, you just, you jump in and you're like, I don't know, but if I do all of this, yeah. it has to work. Right. If I make, if I call a hundred people every single week, somebody has, has to, to want to buy up. or sell a house. Right. Um, so that that's how I've always been like, the more I do, the less likely I, I will fail, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I have the, I waste a lot of time. I mean, if I had minutes and hours back for how much time I had wasted in my life, I, I, you know, it'd be a lot of time. But it's finding out too what's working and what's not. So that way you're able to tweak it. It's almost like sometimes you have to go through that process to figure out what works and then what to prioritize your time on. And then once you got that thing buttoned up, jump onto the next venture. I definitely have to go through it because I, I, 
I don't have any bright ideas, right? I just copy and paste. So if somebody says this is the plan, I do the plan and I can't tweak it, mm -hmm. right? I'm not, I'm not, I don't know why I just, I just keep doing that thing. And then six months in, I'm like, I guess I could tweak this thing, mm -hmm. right? But it's like after three months of that activity, just absolutely not paying off or like getting, it's more like getting rid of this thing. Like I don't need to do this portion anymore, mm -hmm. right? So, but yeah, I'm, pa I'm past all that with a lot of these relationships, uh, now if they see me, I saw, uh, a small business owner I knew at a store and we were, I met her husband there. I never, I knew who he was, but I never met him. We were standing there talking for 40 minutes and that's, that's more sat satisfaction. It's not super great for my wife. Cause she's like, when are you coming home? Mm -hmm. I'm like, don't worry. I saw Melissa at the uh, store over here. So I'm just talking and she like, she won't even send me into Publix anymore. So like, if I send Jordan to Publix, he's 30 minutes talking to somebody every <laughs> single time. And I'm like, well, Babe, I'm six, seven. Like they see me across the store. Yeah. Like they, you know, your head's above the aisle. And they, and they like me. They like me. It's like, the worst thing in this world is somebody liking me and wanting to talk to me yeah. and the career I've chosen. But Absolutely. she's introvert. She don't want nobody to talk to her. Yeah. So I, I try to like embarrass her. The other day we were walking to Jose Bank, and um, you know they do. I don't know why businesses do this. It drives me crazy. But they keep that one door locked and leave the other door yes. open. So like that, I grab that door. That's locked. And since I'm with her, I start yanking on it. I'm like, I won't open. And then people start turning around and she's like, oh my. So we walk in the store and like, how are you doing? I was like, she was better before I did that. And she's like <laughs> mortified, right? So even like that little bit of people looking at her drives her crazy. And yeah. meanwhile, I'm the one yanking the door. Intentionally like, ringing. Yeah, and they're like, this, over. they're like, look at this, this maniac grabbing her. Does he not know it's locked? Yeah. What is he doing? <laughs> Did he not think to try the other one? Yeah. I'm like, oh, this one works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, too, to talk about kind of what you were saying of just following the blueprint, like when when somebody gives you what to do, you know, one of the coaches that, you know, I mentored under for a short time said always emulate before you innovate. And it's like, hey, learn the plan, learn the system. But I think so many people get in their head they can do it better, and they start picking apart the blueprint that somebody already has had success. But you, like me, I have the same mindset. If somebody's successful doing something, I never question anything. I'm like, well, he knows more than what I know. I'm just going to do exactly what he says. I'm not going to question anything. And then as I went through months in, I started to kind of figure out what worked for me and what doesn't. But until I had a high level of sustainable success, meaning I kept achieving it month over month, mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't tweak a thing. The macro will work for everybody, right? So like the general idea, the, the big blueprint will work for everybody. But market to market, person to person, the micro has to change, right? Yeah. And you absolutely. don't know that until you're in it. So like you look at like, I mean, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, right? If you watch highlight tapes of them, like Kobe played just like Michael because he studied Michael and copied his game, mm -hmm. right? But he would do things different than Michael. But overall, like he was Michael Jordan. Right. Right. He even had the same trainer, probably a lot of the same regimen. Um, actually, he didn't have the same trainer. Dwayne Wade had the same trainer as Jordan. But like um, the moves and everything like that. So like Kobe was smart enough. To say I'm six seven, I jump fifty inches off the ground. That guy's six six, jumps fifty inches off the ground. I'll just do what he did, mm -hmm. right? And then I'll change the details, right? I'll change this that idea to fit me, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to try to like reinvent basketball here, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's where you get in trouble is when you try to reinvent the wheel. No one's ain't no innovators in real estate. Mm -hmm. Like it's just it's the same game. Like it, everybody does the same stuff. The goal is the same. Like you know all these really smart people with all these shiny toys like the only thing they're doing is selling you a product to make themselves rich well that too and the people who a lot of times i think you think are innovating because they're on social or they have a lot of public attention you know you don't see the profitability there's not 
that much money. Most of the money is being made for people behind the scenes. I saw one of the most profitable agents I know, Fizbo's and Expires, you know, yeah. was netting over a million dollars a year. Just Fizbo's expired. I think he ran his whole operation at like 1.2 million in revenue with staff and everything. He was running his whole operation about a, a buck 50 a year. And Fizbo's expired and popular since the 70s. Yeah. So like he did not reinvent the wheel. He just made the perfect wheel for him, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think if, if you look- And was following the Mike Ferry system to a here, T. Here's a tip. If you're on social media and you see this guy with 15, 20, 100,000 followers, go to their videos and see how many views they get, mm -hmm. right? That guy with 15,000 followers might have bought them all. And mm -hmm. he might be in 40 to 400 likes or views, not likes. And they're a liar, mm -hmm. right? And you're just looking at that top number again. This guy must know what he's talking about. And really, he's just a liar, mm -hmm. right? So I always tell people, if, <laughs> if you see somebody on social media, if they're getting 10% of their follower account, that means they have a legitimate following, which means they're probably telling people some good stuff. And if they bought their followers, they are fraud. Mm -hmm. Like they're just purely a fraud. I will not be convinced otherwise. I've seen that show. It was on HBO. It was called like, it was something about social media where they like bought followers, bought likes, bought followers. And they made a girl Instagram famous. Mm -hmm. Like by, by buying followers, buying likes, staging photos and all this different stuff. They literally made a person who was getting stuff sent to them by different businesses who were like promote our stuff and it, it worked. She actually did gain the following from doing it. Mm. So like social media is a lie. Social media is like a highlight tape on steroids, right? If you look at like, if you look at like, you know, Reggie Bush's highlight tape from high school, right? It looks better than than the pros even. Mm -hmm. So it's like Reggie Bush's highlight tape in high school is everybody's social media. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're not lying. Some are fat, flat line, but, at minimum, they're embellishing. Well, they're not showing one the the losses or the pain. Everything's victory, and a lot of times, those victories never happened. Yeah, a lot of times they're just recounting stories that other people told them. Yeah, one hundred percent. I put up a, a picture this weekend of my son. So I'm coaching this team, right? So I got I'm on court. Ariel took a photo of us, and I'm like talking to the five kids who are about to play. And I wrote on it. The caption said, um, "I'm coaching the UCF Gold freshman team, currently undefeated." Uh, not not a. I said not important, but somewhat relevant. They they don't keep score, so we're undefeated, but they don't keep. They, we haven't lost. Oh, yeah, we haven't. Won. So like, but if I just left it as that undefeated, people are like, man, this guy is he's coaching. Good coach, yeah, yeah, and it's like no, they don't keep score. We're all winners. Yeah. So like that that social media, right? Yeah. That social media. Everybody's undefeated, but no one's keeping score. One hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's a great way to sum it up. As far as kind of get back to, you know, real estate in your career, you know, a lot of agents, I feel, struggle with work-life balance. Like one, you know, you talked on some of those attributes before, the discipline, the time management, you know, time blocking that you learned back from college that helped you instill, you know, a schedule so that way you could deal with all the chaos, everything that comes your way of real estate. But what would be some other tips that you would give to agents um, who are high- Producers now getting to kind of level where they're running around crazy like you were with Zillow doing a lot of production or maybe they're newly licensed agent or, you know, not, you know, just starting to become an agent. Maybe we're unaware of the hours and what it takes. What would be some tips for a work life balance and how to achieve that? Tip one is you have to go unbalanced mm -hmm. for an extended period of time to match the business you want. Right. right? Unless you want a business of one to two transactions a, a month. Which is, you know, fine. If that's what you desire, you can have great work-life balance. 
if your goal is to be a top producer in any reputable brokerage where you're closing 20 plus million, you're going to have to decide that I will be unbalanced. I will sacrifice time because when I started, I didn't have a wife or kids, but you know, the only, I always said the only day I had was the, at the bar with my buddies every night, right? I had to get to the bar by 10 o'clock and start drinking, right? So, but there was a lot of times where I wanted to go do Sunday fun day and I can't because I need to go show one house, right? Mm-hmm. So like you have to go unbalanced until you have the base of business, the, the database of business to then sustain, right? Mm-hmm. Once you hit that place, now it's about, are you, are you acting selfishly, right? Mm-hmm. Is me... One of the one of the metrics I judge myself if if I'm doing well as a work life balance guy, which I I'm terrible at. Um, how many nights a week do I eat with my kids? Mm-hmm. So one thing I'll do is I'll have breakfast with them every day because um, I can control my morning, and then am I home at like five thirty to six thirty to have dinner yeah. with my kids? And as long as I'm doing that four of the five nights, three of the five nights a week, um, I feel good, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if you set metrics yourself, because at some point, like you only need so much money, you only need so much business. You're just doing it to feed your own ego. That extra deal, instead of doing 95 deals last year, I did 96, but I missed three more dinners because of it. Like that was just being selfish. Like, my family w- still would have ate that dinner without me doing that. Mm-hmm. So it's setting parameters and setting metrics. So I think the important thing is that like, you set metrics for like what gives you work-life balance, what gives you, what gives you a great life. What's important to you, like I try, one of my goals this year is to take my wife on a date two times a month, right? Mm-hmm. Just me and her, no kids. Doesn't have to be fancy. Uh, doesn't have to be anything shopping. Just it's an hour to three hours of me and her, no kids, no work, no nothing, right? Um, dinner with my kids, coaching Lincoln in basketball, going to see Malia's gymnastic class at least twice a month. So these different things, if I'm hitting these metrics, then I feel good. Not missing, uh, like Malia's got a mid-year assessment for her k4 class i gotta make that i got olympics coming up for the kids at school i gotta make that like if i'm hitting these things these these moments um and i'm around them i feel good now that that might not be for everybody if but it's almost like and, and not to kind of cut you off but it's almost like what you did in business where you know you have this big goal and then you kind of break it down to the monthly the bi-monthly the quarterly the weekly even the hourly you're kind of doing that in your personal life as well to make sure that you I do achieve that balance. Yeah, I do it everywhere, right? <laughs> like even even I do it with like friends. How how much am I talking to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like me and you, we talk if not weekly, biweekly, mm-hmm. right? If we go three or four weeks and I think about you, I gotta call you. Mm-hmm. Right? I gotta check in. Mm-hmm. You good? How's everything going? Right? Because life is going to happen. Like last summer, you're on vacation with the boys. Um, you're running around doing different things. I'm obviously in, in selling season over summer. It's easy to like go a month without speaking. Yeah. But like as long as moments make that attempt, hey, let me make a call. Let me go see how he's doing. Because that's a meaningful relationship in my life. Mm-hmm. So like, am I talking to my friends like a couple times a month? Mm-hmm. Like, am I seeing them? Like, we grab lunch probably what, every two, three months, make sure we're seeing each other in person. Mm-hmm. Um, those things, like I think when you when you set yourself metrics that you can follow and say, I am following these things or I am missing these things, it keeps everything in check and balance. Like I always say, like, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not a great husband, but I aspire to be a great husband. One of the ways I, I become an average husband is I ask my wife, "Hey, are you happy? Are you happy with it? Do you still like me? Is there anything I can do better to make you like me more?" And she's, you know, she usually says, "Yeah, she's happy." Or else I guess we wouldn't be together. But like, she sounds like, "Yeah, you know, yeah, I've been home for dinner lately. I haven't yeah. really liked that. Or, you know, I haven't 
haven't done this thing or whatever. And like by me asking her, now I know what I need to do to make sure that I'm keeping that check, right? So they put the plan in place. Yeah, it's and it's usually she's happy. Um, but I don't know. I'm trying to think of something like I've been pretty good lately. So I haven't had a problem lately, but like it used to probably have been like you come home and you're on your phone, you're still working. I'm not, I'm not seeing you. I'm not talking to you. I feel disconnected. So I'm like, right, cool. I need to come in the house for the next couple of weeks until I break myself. Have to walk in on the phone. One more call. One more. Da, 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 right? One more. One more. One more. Then it's three hours on the road. And it was too many. One mores. I come in the house. I put my phone by my keys. And, I, and I'm okay. I can't look at my phone. Right? So what it sounds like is that you're almost putting yourself a self governor on. Oh yeah. To kind of limit what you do and, and to make changes so that way they're kind of mandated. Yeah, I let, and I let her govern home, right? Mm-hmm. She runs the house. I pay for the house. She runs the house. Mm-hmm. So, like, if she's not happy with someone at the home, it's my job as an employee of her household to do what she needs me to do, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's how I think we keep a healthy boundaries. Like, she'll let me go unbalanced to achieve my goals, but she'll also be like, all right, it's time for you to show up here, right? Mm-hmm. Or if I'm missing, like, <clears throat> like sometimes I'm really like, I want da- dad to come to dance mm-hmm. practice. She's like, you need to come to dance practice. Your daughter wants you there. And it's, it's you sit outside of a glass. They can't see you. Know, it's a two, it's, you know, one of those tinted glasses where you can see them, but they can't see out. So it's this goofy thing, but it's like, she wants me, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. And, and more importantly, my wife wants me to be there for her, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll be there, right? So it's the accountability factor. It's the accountability factor. So like, I think that's how I keep a, a decent work-life balance. I don't know. I think work-life balance is a weird well, I think, I mean, you hit on a point that I haven't heard anybody say in the beginning. I think a lot, well, I don't want to say that. When we've had Mike on the show, he kind of alluded to it too. And I think that a lot of agents don't really understand. And I think even when you say you're going to become unbalanced, they don't understand that if you want to get into a high level of production, you want to be very successful. That unbalance for, I would say, two years at least is very unbalanced. Someone's like, you're making a sacrifice with your life. There's no life. There's pretty much two years of work on the grind, fitting in some things here and there. But once you build that foundation to what you're alluding to the database, then you can start building those parameters, those governors in place. And it's not to say in those first years, you have to give up on everything. But if you really want it to work, you're on a straight commission job, you're just getting going, you don't really have a referral network yet, you you got to really be out there working your ass off for the first couple of years. Well, if you look at everybody either watches movie stars, listens to music stars, mm-hmm. or watches sports. Mm-hmm. All of those professions go unbalanced in the seasons they make money. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck, he's on set for six months. Mm-hmm. He's gone. He ain't, he, ain't, he ain't having dinner at home. Mm-hmm. He's not home. He's in Siberia or something weird, right? Taylor Swift is on tour for six months straight mm-hmm. in America and in Europe, mm-hmm. right? Basketball, football players, like, not saying they're not home because they're probably coming home, but they're not mentally home because they're in the game. They're gone for, what, six to nine months. Mm-hmm easy trying to like win in, in, in all those seasons for all those that's the only time they make money mm-hmm. uh, now they they have endorsement deals and stuff like that but like in in the season Steph Curry makes what, 45 million dollars a year mm-hmm. he makes it during the season he doesn't get paid over something right so like he's unbalanced in his life for six to nine months every single year mm-hmm. right but then like we feel like everything oh they're all overpaid it's all da, 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 da. you couldn't do it because you can't do it in your personal life you can't even get out of bed before 10 a.m. to mm-hmm. go make some calls to go do this side of the other and make some business work. Mm-hmm. But you're mad that, you know, why else is are these people making so much money? Like, well, they're working way harder than you are. And not, not for nothing more. Not for nothing. Taylor Swift can fill up an entire arena. Mm-hmm. You couldn't fill up a, a conference room. Mm-hmm. 
So like that's also why they paid so much. So yeah. Just relax a little. Yeah. No, no one cares about you. They really care about Taylor. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> if you if, if you both pass away, there's only one person making the front page. All right? Yeah. That's true. I think that's a good way to sum it up. I don't know how eloquently that is, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think it's just that sacrifice and dedication, and then to use that analogy when they're off tour or when they're out of the season, they've kind of earned time to kind of swing the pendulum back the other way, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like it's unhinged during a certain time. Maybe that's a busy season for an agent, March to mid-August. But then, hey, like you said, December, there's a lot more downtime that you've had yeah. throughout your career, and you kind of know what to expect. You know, I think we try to book a vacation in the spring, just me and Arrow. We try to book a vacation over summer for the family. We try to book a we book a vacation in the fall for our anniversary. Then I get downtime in December, right? Yeah. So like I try to do that so I can go hard, reset, go hard, reset, you know, that type of thing. Um, so like if you if you schedule in your breaks too, it makes life easy. It goes back to time blocking, I guess, but like if you schedule in like these are the times I'm gonna recuperate. These are the times I'm going to learn. These are the times I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can. And you kind of set like that in your brain. It's easier as well. If you're working towards, I know I'm off March 11th to March 16th. I know I'm off. Right. right? Going here. It makes it easier to work really hard from January 1st to March 11th. Yeah. Right. So you can even set stuff like that. It doesn't have to be a grandiose thing. It might just be a three-day weekend where you, you sit by your pool and don't answer your phone. Mm-hmm. I'll tell all your clients. It'll be fine. Tell all your clients something. I'm gone this weekend. I won't be able to answer your call. But I'll be back on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. They'll be fine. They'll be okay. And if they if they aren't, like you know, have a friend. A buddy system. Number. I said a buddy system. Yeah, like you guys cover for each other. Yeah. Hey, call Jimmy. Jimmy's gonna take care of you if a fire happens. Mm-hmm. If nothing happens, I'm gonna call you when I first come to the office on Tuesday. Yeah, and they'll be fine. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I couldn't agree more. And then kind of to to kind of wrap up the show here, Jordan. So obviously nine years, you know, coming out the gate high. Uh, production, you know, get into success uh, relatively quickly within your first year. Doing it for nine years, you almost got kind of the knowledge and wisdom of agents who have had stable careers for 40 or 50 years just by how much you've done the process and how much time and energy you've dedicated to the craft. What would you say if you were looking at your younger version of you, you know, back there teaching, getting your degree, and, you know, there's a lot of agents out there struggling right now, a lot of agents newly licensed, not sure what to work on first, and they're going to Go to social media and hear a million different things. But I always like to hear from the producers. I would say it's better to hear something from a practitioner than a theorist. Because, you know, there's a, if they, a theorist goes and reads a book. They go from step one to step two. There's 10 steps in between one and two. And unless you had boots on the ground, you don't know about. So what would you be if you were kind of coaching yourself again or for agents out there struggling? What would be like the one thing that you would make sure that was buttoned up, you know, ready to go to ensure that you had the success um, that you're looking to achieve? That's a great question. I don't know. I've never thought of it in that, that light. Um, you should have fed me that one before the show. <laughs> um, the one thing I would tell myself, well, I think, uh, I don't think this answers your question. Can you cuss on this podcast? Mm-hmm. So the one thing I would tell myself is like, you're going to fuck it up, mm-hmm. but it's going to be okay. Just mm-hmm. keep working, right? Because there's moments when you first start when on a deal, uh, like you you blow it. You just mm-hmm. mess. I, I'll never forget. I had this, <laughs> I had this listing. I didn't know age of home mattered. Right? It was all in one computer. I had no idea the age of home mattered. Long story short, I priced it starting at two thirty. We eventually get sold after many months on market, and it, it appraised at one eighty. And the woman's like, "How did you? How are you? Like, how are you this bad? Like, you missed it by fifty thousand dollars. You missed it by like more than twenty five percent." I'm like, "I think I said back to her, I'm not really sure, but I'm gonna try to figure that out for you, right?" 
Right. Mm-hmm. So like I felt terrible in that moment. It was my first year and I felt awful. It was over. She was actually a high school teacher of mine and my mom actually did her hair. So like, it wasn't like this lady I didn't know and never, I haven't seen her since, but probably that's why I've never seen her since. But like, um, yeah, it was, it, you're going to, you're going to fuck this up. It's, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Just keep working. The one thing I would have told myself as a young agent, like year two, three, and four, I would, I would have said value the people who are feeding you more. I didn't, I didn't do great of that. I should have taken more time to like show them. I appreciate them. Tell them I appreciate them. Um, and I think the, the transition from being a, such a transactional human being to like being a relational human being would have been quicker, smoother, um, less. I mean, people flat told me when I tried to like change my business, um, I had this one guy, I, I, I forget, I sent something out and, um, he emailed me. I like mailed something and he emailed me back and he was like, Hey man, that's the second time I've gotten that. You might as well save your 50 cent stamp. Cause I, I hate you. And I was like, I knew exactly who he was too. And I was like, Hey man, this is a great opportunity for me. To learn. I was being genuine. I was like, it's a great opportunity for me to learn. Cause like, you know, you can learn more from negative criticism than positive. What did I do in your process that made you so, uh, disgusted by me? Right. And he said, you stole money. He's like, I was a new home build. You called me. Um, you got in the contract, and I never heard from you again, right? Which is a terrible thing to do. But th- my poor communication, right, in that time when I if I, I was just so transactional, I was on the next one. What he didn't know, what I did tell him, and he kind of like, I'm sorry, shouldn't pile on you here. I was like, no, I, I was like, I don't say that. I remember exactly who you are. I know exactly where you bought. I was like, in March during your transaction about maybe three weeks into his transaction. And it was one of those pre-built. So it was only going to be like an eight week run. I was like, I got in a car accident. I dislocated my hip, broke my pelvic bone, broke my jaw. And then my mouth was wired shut. I was like, I couldn't talk. So I, um, well, I could talk, but you know how it goes. So like, yeah. I was like, I did not know about it. I actually appreciate you more than anybody else. Cause like I need that money and that time more than any other time in my life. Cause I couldn't work. I couldn't walk for three months. Like, and he's like, I had no idea. And I was like, well, if I would have just told the man, shot him an email, gave him a text, something, and said, hey, man, like, you're in great hands with the builder, you know, Highland Homes, who's building Highland Homes. Highland Homes is going to take great care of you. I'm currently in the hospital with a broken jaw, broken broken pelvic bone, a disc hip. He would have never hated me, but he got two pieces of mail. He remembered my name. He's like, I hate this guy. And this is like poor communication, right? So, like, um, that that's what I would tell myself. was like, you know, appreciate these people. Yeah. Just tell them you appreciate them. Tell them that. I tell people when I, I work with them, thank you for working with me this side feed my family. I don't take that lightly. Yeah. And they're always kind of like weird about it. Cause I guess it'd be like, if you, if you like are at uh, a restaurant and the, the, you tip the guy and he was like, this side feed my family. Thank you so much. You might like, calm down, bro. It's yeah. just a tip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, I had to buy the house. I need so to you're buy passive it. aggressive. Did I not give enough here? But like, I, I <laughs> want people to know, like I, I genuinely appreciate this moment. Like mm-hmm. you could have used anybody. There's a billion agents. You don't have to use mm-hmm. me. You referred me, you found me online, however you found me. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Even if, even once people bring me out to their home and maybe not ultimately choose me, I thank them and say, I appreciate the opportunity just to come here. Um, and then I'll ask them, like, well, what, what could I have done better to maybe land this? And they're mm-hmm. usually like, well, this is what you could have done. This is what I didn't like. Or sometimes like, well, there's nothing about you. I I didn't realize my sister in law is a realtor. Right. Right. And say, okay, cool. And like, so, like, you can learn a lot from those people. And like, well, look, again, I appreciate the opportunity because this is how I feed my family and I learned something here today. 
So that's why I would tell my younger self is like, uh, you're going to fuck this up. It's going to be okay. And uh, don't, don't be so transactional. It's okay to sh- tell people you, you thank you. Yeah. So kind of to sum it up here and wrap up the show, what I heard is like, you know, caring a little bit more, being more relationship oriented than transactional oriented, obviously still having that goal. And that's going to be, you know, transactions come into play, but really focus on humanizing the experience building those relationships. And I just heard something for the first time that I think kind of alludes to it. He calls it the, the LLW double WW method. And that's what he does. He's like, uh, it's, you lose, you learn, you win, then you gain wisdom because of the process. And he says, if you put two L's together, as long as you learn, you eventually get the W. Yeah. And that's what it kind of sounds like he did in that manner. It's all right. You know, you had a situation that wasn't publicly portrayed. You know, somebody thought of you in a way that you didn't really want somebody to think of you. You didn't think you were putting that out there. But due to you not having information to process, if he didn't put that out there, you might have still had a lot of poor communication moving forward because he kind of shed a light on that. And then it's up to us as humans to, once we have that information to process, is are we willing to make the change or not? Yeah, because I could easily have been like, well, he's, you know. I hate you too. Yeah, I hate you too. My <laughs> hip was broken. Like, yeah. You're selfish. Like, But he, I never told him my hip was broken. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he was buying the most expensive thing he'll buy until he sells a home, buys a bigger home, or hits a lot of wins and buys a yacht, right? Yeah. So, like, I should have taken that. I should have at least communicated with him. And I don't know how many, because you're on so many pain pills and the lot and all that stuff. I don't know if I didn't tell other people. I don't know if I told them. I don't really know where it all shook out. Like, I don't know if there's other people who I just never communicated that to, but it kind of made me wonder during that time. So I went back and I called all the people from that, like, three-month run. And I was like, hey, I just want to let you know. Like, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I just kind of So if I didn't communicate properly to you, I do want to apologize. And most of them are like, no, it was fine. It was great. We got the house. We sold the house or whatever. And, like, but I didn't even realize, I don't know, you're, I had bigger problems in my life than, like, a house sale. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm laying in the hospital having six surgeries in eight days. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't really on the forefront of my mind either, but I did come out of the hospital. There was plenty of opportunity for me to bring it up. And that was when I was like, that was the, the light. Like, all I had to do was communicate one single time. It was not like I didn't do anything in real estate for three months. It wasn't like I was a hermit. Right. Um, so that, I remember I had, I had, uh, I had a uh, buyer appointments on my couch. I'm sitting on my couch, can't walk. People come to my house to meet me and I would hook them up with another agent. Right. And like at my house, it was like really what a weird like transition. What a weird thing looking back at. Like I was sitting in my house and people were coming to my home. Like I hadn't shaved my head, didn't cut my hair, didn't cut my beard for like three, all three months. I was, well, I'm not cutting my hair. I couldn't see a barber anyways. I yeah. couldn't stand in the mirror. So I had this weird hair thing going on. So I like looking back, like what a weird time. <laughs> like, right? what a weird time. Hey, but you still you know progress, move forward, and I think one of the things too that I'm hearing to kind of also touch on for newer agents out there that I think a lot of people, not just in real estate, but as human beings is through the process, you kind of put your feelings aside. You kind of put down, you know, putting up a wall or a shield to block in somebody having that negative criticism. And you were more focused on the way they felt and why they would feel this way. Cause you didn't feel that yourself. Then you were focused on justifying that you're not a bad person, yeah. which I think a lot of people get on the defense and kind of get in that, well, I hate you too mentality. You don't know me type of thing. But really yeah. you're like, hey, well, let me see what, how the signal got crossed. You kind of took a, you know, a higher level and then you were able to kind of learn and then obviously squash the way he felt about you, but then also potentially amend or just kind of correct your behavior moving forward. I don't want to say correct your behavior. Transition the way that you communicated and prioritized what to do if something were to happen moving forward, but also 
you know, called to see if anything was wrong in the past that you might have neglected just due to the circumstance of being, you know, in that frame of mind at that time, not with having the knowledge or something, how other people might have been impacted. Yeah, you know? I, I've never been worried about, like, how what your opinion of me is like fine like it's your opinion like i have an opinion of everybody and it could be best like we could both have an opinion of warren sap me and you both right and it don't it don't matter like if you hate him i love him it, it makes no difference to warren sap right mm-hmm. so like but he may wonder why like why do you hate me and why do you love me like why why is that just so if there's a behavior he can correct overtly he's doing overt things that like make people dislike him he could stop it mm-hmm. and he's like well that's just who i am and i like doing that stuff so people are just going to hate me and then he, he can come at peace mm-hmm. so that guy would have said something to me like very outside of that i may have decided like well people are just going to dislike me because that's how i'm going to run my business mm-hmm. right so i think it's, it gives you an opportunity to like figure out like, if you figure out like somebody doesn't like the experience or doesn't like you or doesn't like something you can then decide if that's even something that you want to address. Right? Yeah. Cause you could, I could have easily been like, if, as opposed to him saying like, well, you, you never talked to me and you know, whatever you stole money or whatever. Um, I could have easily been like, well, that's just what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. That's just who I am. That's how I'm running this business. And I've been like, cool, man, I'll take you off and say the 50 cents. Right. Yeah. So like, but that's not who I want to be. That's not the, the man I want to be. It's not the realtor I want to be. It's not the example I set for my kids. Like, you know, just take advantage of people. Um, just get them to sign the line and then move on. Like I wouldn't, if, if my kids thought that maybe kind of weird, mm-hmm. I think like I'm basically training them to be like snake oil salesmen. Yeah. Cause like again, we're, we're dealing with people's biggest transaction life. I think it's, it's personal for everybody. It's personal mm-hmm. for me. It's not for my family. It's personal for them because this is where they're going to house their family. Mm-hmm. This is where they're going to make their biggest investment most likely in their life. Right. It's a personal experience. That's yeah. why people go, well, it's just business, not personal. Like, is it? Mm-hmm. Is this just business? Because there's a lot of emotions in this just business. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like saying a divorce is just business. Like, right. is that just business? Because a lot of people get a lot of emotions in divorce. So mm-hmm. that's how I kind of see it, or that's how I've always processed a lot of things in my life. Like, if I can understand why you feel the way you feel, I can then decide what I want to do with it. Because yeah. you can't be the only one, right? Yeah. It's not like that dude was the only one who's like, I don't feel like he communicated with me. Mm-hmm. He's just the only one that was willing to. You know, kind of put it out there. Yeah, hey, he put it out there. He was in the military, right? So he he was. It's funny. I remember. I actually remember this guy. He didn't think I knew who he was, even. And that's what in his email I kind of said it too. Um, so he was in a position to like not have fear of like speaking his mind. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of human beings would have. There was one woman I sent her. This was absolute. This one I went the other way on because I did so much for her, and she she was mad and gave her a welcome mat uh-huh. for her closing gift. Um. She got 18 things from me. I counted. And then she finally told me that I was the worst realtor. She had the displeasure of knowing. And literally, literally, because I did not give her a unwelcome mat for her house. She got a gift. I guess it just wasn't. She's like, it's customary. I'm like, is it? Is it customary? Like, can you prove that? (laughs) I just Googled it. So that lady, on the other hand, I was like, well, if people are going to hate me because of customary, uh, welcome mats. I'm not buying welcome mats. That's some married things that only they know about. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so that one went the other way and I was like, yeah, no, you hate me and likewise. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we both, and this is the beauty of it all, we've all gone to live the lives we're supposed to live. Yeah. Have the relationship we're supposed to have and moved on from it, right? Yeah. Like, none of it's, none of it's really permanent. Absolutely. In the, in the, in the grand scheme of it. As long as your wife likes you, your kids are usually get over stuff. 
<laughs> but like, as long as your wife likes you, everyone else is kind of, kind of like, there's a beginning, a middle, and the end of every relationship. We all want the end to be death, retirement, like some final factor. But sometimes it's just the relationship's done. Yeah. Like, that's it, it, shake hands. It was a good run. We'll never talk. Yeah. It's like high school. Yeah. I who you not talk to from high school. You had a great relationship. You don't hate them. You don't dislike them. But there was a clear end. And now when you see them out, they're like, how's your family? You're like, do you really care, man? Yeah. I don't think you care because we don't talk ever. Right. We don't talk in 17 years. Do you really care? <laughs> 100%. So. I, could, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, Jordan, we thank you for uh, being a guest on this week's podcast. For anybody out there in the marketplace looking to buy or sell, uh, what's the best communication you know to kind of reach you on uh, what's the best number to call you on and what email address should they be sending emails to uh email me jordan j-o-r-d-a-n at central fl moves.com or you could do at five four realty.com either one will get to me um i'm assuming you're gonna put this on the screen yeah and then my direct sell if you need is 863-899-9967 final answer you can call my office 863-712-6114 um, so if you miss me, send me a voicemail, leave me a voice, send me a text or leave me a voicemail, be some more expedient. I always say call my office. Um, they can usually get to you too. So either any of those will get to me eventually, not eventually, like within reasonable time. Awesome. Well, we greatly appreciate having you and, uh, we greatly appreciate all of you tuning in for another episode of the real estate playbook. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,